0: Chapter 7 of Tarzan and the Golden Lion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josh Herring of Abingdon, Virginia. Tarzan and the Golden Lion by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 7. You Must Sacrifice Him. Warily, Kaj and his hundred frightful followers, armed with their bludgeons and knives, crept stealthily down the face of the barrier into the valley below, upon the trail of the white man and his black companions. They made no haste, for they had noted from the summit of Opar's outer wall that the party that they were pursuing moved very slowly, though why, they did not know, for they had been at too great a distance to see the burden that each of the blacks carried. Nor was it Kaj's desire to overtake his quarry by daylight, his plans contemplating a stealthy night attack the suddenness of which, together with the great number of his followers, might easily confuse and overwhelm a sleeping camp. The spore they followed was well marked, there could be no mistaking it, and they moved slowly down the now gentle declivity, toward the bottom of the valley. It was close to noon that they were brought to a sudden halt by the discovery of a thorn boma, recently constructed in a small clearing just ahead of them. From the center of the boma arose the thin smoke of a dying fire. Here, then, was the camp of the ape-man. Kodj drew his followers into the concealment of the thick bushes that bordered the trail, and from there he sent ahead a single man to reconnoiter. It was but a few moments later that the latter returned to say that the camp was deserted, and once again Kodj moved forward with his men. Entering the boma, they examined it, in an effort to estimate the size of the party that accompanied Tarzan. As they were thus occupied, Kodj saw something lying half concealed by bushes at the far end of the boma very warily he approached it for there was that about it which not only aroused his curiosity but prompted him to caution for it resembled indistinctly the figure of a man lying huddled upon the ground with ready bludgeons a dozen of them approached the thing that had aroused kaj's curiosity and when they had come close to it they saw lying before them the lifeless figure of tarzan of the apes the flaming god has reached forth to avenge his desecrated altar cried the high priest his eyes glowing with the maniacal fires of fanaticism But another priest, more practical perhaps, or at least more cautious, kneeled beside the figure of the ape-man and placed his ear against the latter's heart. He is not dead, he whispered. Perhaps he only sleeps. Seize him, then. Quickly, cried Kaj, and an instant later Tarzan's body was covered by the hairy forms of as many of the frightful men as could pile upon him. He offered no resistance. He did not even open his eyes, and presently his arms were securely bound behind him. Drag him forth where the eye of the flaming god may rest upon him. "'Cried Kaj. "'They dragged Tarzan out into the center of the boma, "'into the full light of the sun, "'and Kaj, the high priest, drawing his knife from his loincloth, "'raised it above his head and stood over the prostrate form of his intended victim. "'Kaj's followers formed a rough circle about the ape-man, "'and some of them pressed close behind their leader. "'They appeared uneasy, looking alternately at Tarzan and their high priest, "'and then casting furtive glances at the sun, "'riding high in the cloud-mottled sky. "'But whatever the thoughts that troubled their half-savage brains... There was only one who dared voice his, and he was the same priest who, upon the preceding day, had questioned Kaj's proposal to slay the ape-man. "'Kaj,' he said now, "'who are you to offer up a sacrifice to the flaming god? It is the privilege alone of La, our high priestess, and our queen. And indeed will she be angry when she learns what you have done.' "'Silence, dooth cried Kodj, "'I, Kaj, am the high priest of Opar. I, Kaj, am the mate of La, the queen.' My word, too, is Law in Opar. And you would remain a priest, and you would remain alive. Keep silence. Your word is not Law, replied Deuce angrily. And if you anger Law, the High Priestess, or if you anger the Flaming God, you will be punished as another. If you make this sacrifice, both will be angry. Enough, cried Kaj. The Flaming God has spoken to me, and has demanded that I offer up as sacrifice this defiler of his temple. He knelt beside the ape-man and touched his breast above the heart with the point of his sharp blade, and then he raised the weapon high above him, preparatory to the fatal plunge into the living heart. At that instant, a cloud passed before the face of the sun, and a shadow rested upon them. A murmur rose from the surrounding priests. Look, cried Duth. The flaming god is angry. He has hidden his face from the people of Opar. Koj paused. He cast a half-defiant, half-frightened look at the cloud obscuring the face of the sun, Then he rose slowly to his feet, and extending his arms upward toward the hidden god of day, he remained for a moment silent in apparently attentive and listening attitude. Then suddenly he turned upon his followers. Priests of Opar, he cried, the flaming god has spoken to his high priest, Kaj. He is not angered, he but wishes to speak to me alone, and he directs that you go away into the jungle and wait until he has come and spoken to Kaj, after which I shall call you to return. Go! For the most part, they seemed to accept the word of Kaj's law, but Duth and a few others, doubtless prompted by a certain skepticism, hesitated. Be gone, commanded Kaj, and so powerful is the habit of obedience that the doubters finally turned away and melted into the jungle with the others. A crafty smile lighted the cruel face of the high priest as the last of them disappeared from sight, and then he once again turned his attention to the ape-man. That, deep within his breast, however, lurked an inherent fear of his deity was evidenced by the fact that he turned questioning glances toward the sky. He had determined to slay the ape man while Duth and the others were absent, yet the fear of his god restrained his hand until the light of his deity should shine forth upon him once more and assure him that the thing he contemplated might meet with favor. It was a large cloud that overcast the sun, and while Codge waited, his nervousness increased. Six times he raised his knife for the fatal blow, yet in each instance his superstition prevented the consummation of the act. Five, ten, fifteen minutes passed, and still the sun remained obscured. But now at least Kaj could see that it was nearing the edge of the cloud, and once again he took his position kneeling beside the ape-man with his blade ready for the moment that the sunlight should flood again for the last time the living Tarzan. He saw it sweeping slowly across the boma toward him, and as it came a look of demonical hatred shone upon his close-set wicked eyes. Another instant and the flaming god would have set the seal of his approval upon the sacrifice. Kodj trembled in anticipation. He raised the knife a trifle higher, his muscles tensed for the downward plunge, and then the silence of the jungle was broken by a woman's voice, raised almost to a scream. Kaj! came the single word, but with all the suddenness and all the surprising effect of lightning from a clear sky. His knife still poised on high, the high priest turned in the direction of the interruption to see, at the clearing's edge, the figure of Law, the high priestess, and behind her Duth and a score of the lesser priests. "'What means this, Kaj?' demanded Law, angrily, approaching rapidly toward him across the clearing. Sullenly, the high priest rose. "'The flaming god demanded the life of this unbeliever,' he cried. "'Speaker of lies,' retorted Law. "'The flaming god communicates with men through the lips of his high priestess only.' Too often already have you attempted to thwart the will of your queen. Know then, Kaj, that the power of life and death which your queen holds is as potent over you as another. During the long ages that Opar has endured, our legends tell us that more than one high priest has been offered upon the altar to the flaming god, and yet it is not unlikely that yet another may go the way of the presumptuous. Curb, however, your vanity and your lust for power, lest they prove your undoing. Kaj sheathed his knife and turned sullenly away casting a venomous look at deuth to whom he evidently attributed his undoing that he was temporarily abashed by the presence of his queen was evident but to those who knew kaj there was little doubt that he still harbored his intention to dispatch the ape-man and if the opportunity ever presented itself that he would do so for kaj had a strong following among the people and priests of opar There were many who doubted that law would ever dare to incur the displeasure and anger of so important a portion of her followers as to cause the death or degradation of their high priest, who occupied his office by virtue of laws and customs so old that their origin had been long lost in antiquity. For years she had found first one excuse and then another to delay the ceremonies that would unite her in marriage to the high priest. She had further aroused the antagonism of her people by palpable proofs of her infatuation for the ape man. And even though, at last, she had been compelled to mate with Kaj, she had made no effort whatsoever to conceal her hatred and loathing for the man. How much further she could go with impunity was a question that often troubled those whose position in Opar depended upon her favor. And, knowing all these conditions as he did, it was not strange that Kaj should entertain treasonable thoughts toward his queen. Leagued with him in his treachery was Ola, a priestess who aspired to the power and offices of law. And if law could be done away with, then Kaj had the influence to see that Oa became high priestess. He also had Owa's promise to mate with him and permit him to rule as king, but as yet both were bound by the superstitious fear of their flaming deity, and because of this fact was the wife of law temporarily safe. It required, however, but the slightest spark to ignite the flames of treason that were smoldering about her. So far, she was well within her rights in forbidding the sacrifice of Tarzan by the high priest, but her fate, her very life perhaps, "'depended upon her future treatment of the prisoner. "'Should she spare him, "'should she evidence in any way a return of the great love "'she had once almost publicly avowed for him, "'it was likely that her doom would be sealed. "'It was even questionable whether or not she might, "'with impunity, spare his life and set him at liberty. "'Kaj and the others watched her closely now "'as she crossed to the side of Tarzan. "'Standing there silently for several moments, "'she looked down upon him. "'He is already dead?' she asked. "'He was not dead when Kaj sent us away.' volunteered Duth. If he is dead now, it is because Kaj killed him while we were away. I did not kill him, said Kaj. That remains, as Law, our queen, has told you, for her to do. The eye of the flaming god looks down upon you, high priestess of Opar. The knife is at your hip. The sacrifice lies before you. Law ignored the man's words and turned toward Duth. If he still lives, she said, construct a litter and bear him back to Opar thus once more came tarzan of the apes into the ancient colonial city of the atlanteans the effects of the narcotic that kraski had administered to him did not wear off for many hours it was night when he opened his eyes and for a moment he was bewildered by the darkness and the silence that surrounded him all that he could sin at first was that he lay upon a pile of furs and that he was uninjured for he felt no pain slowly there broke through the fog of his drugged brain recollection of the last moment before unconsciousness had overcome him and presently he realized the trick that had been played upon him. For how long he had been unconscious, and where he then was he could not imagine. Slowly he arose to his feet, finding that except for a slight dizziness he was quite himself. Cautiously he felt around in the darkness, moving with care, a hand outstretched, and always feeling carefully with his feet for a secure footing. Almost immediately a stone wall stopped his progress, and this he followed around four sides of what he soon realized was a small room in which there were but two openings a door upon each of the opposite sides. Only his senses of touch and smell were of value to him here. These told him at first that he was imprisoned in a subterranean chamber, but as the effects of the narcotic diminished, the keenness of the latter returned, and with its return there was borne in upon Tarzan's brain an insistent impression of familiarity in certain fragrant odors that impinged upon his olfactory organs, a haunting suggestion that he had known them before under similar circumstances. Presently from above, through earth and masonry, came the shadow of an uncanny screen, just the faintest suggestion of it reached the keen ears of the ape-man, but it was sufficient to flood his mind with vivid recollections, and, by association of ideas, to fix the identity of the familiar odors about him. He knew at last that he was in the dark pit beneath Opar. Above him, in her chamber in the temple, La, the high priestess, tossed upon a sleepless couch. She knew all too well the temper of her people and the treachery of the high priest, Kaj, She knew the religious fanaticism which prompted the oft-time maniacal actions of her bestial and ignorant followers, and she guessed truly that Kaj would inflame them against her, should she fail this time in sacrificing the ape-man to the flaming god. And it was the effort to find an escape from her dilemma that left her sleepless, for it was not in the heart of law to sacrifice Tarzan of the apes. High priestess of a horrid cult, though she was, and queen of a race of half-beasts, yet she was a woman, too, a woman who had loved but once and given that love to the godlike ape-man who was again within her power. Twice before, he escaped her sacrificial knife. In the final instance, love had at last triumphed over jealousy and fanaticism, and La, the woman, had realized that never again could she place in jeopardy the life of the man she loved, however hopeless she knew that love to be. Tonight, she was faced with a problem that she almost felt beyond her powers of solution. The fact that she was mated with Kaj removed the last vestige of hope that she had ever had of becoming the wife of the ape-man. Yet she was no less determined to save Tarzan if it were possible. Twice had he saved her life, once from the mad priest and once from Tantor in must. Then too, she had given her word that when Tarzan came again to Opar, he came in friendship and would be received in friendship. But the influence of Kaj was great, and she knew that that influence had been directed unremittingly against the ape-man. She had seen it in the attitude of her followers from the very moment that they had placed Tarzan upon a litter to bear him back to Opar. She had seen it in the evil glances that had been cast at her. Sooner or later they would dare to announce her. All that they needed was some slight new excuse that she knew they eagerly awaited in her forthcoming attitude toward Tarzan. It was well after midnight when there came to her one of the priestesses who remained always upon guard outside her chamber door. Dooth would speak with you,' whispered the handmaiden. "'It is late,' replied La. "'And men are not permitted in this part of the temple. How came he here, and why?' He says that he comes in service of Law, who is in great danger, replied the girl. Fetch him here, then, said Law, and as you value your life, see that you tell no one. I shall be as voiceless as the stones of the altar, replied the girl, as she turned and left the chamber. A moment later she returned, bringing Duth, who halted a few feet from the high priestess and saluted her. Law signaled to the girl who had brought him to depart, and then she turned questioningly to the man. Speak, Duth, she commanded. We all know, he said, of La's love for the strange ape-man, and it is not for me, a lesser priest, to question the thoughts or acts of my high priestess. It is only for me to serve, as those would do better to serve who now plot against you. What do you mean, Duth? Who plots against me? Even at this minute are and Oa, and several of the priests and priestesses carrying out a plan for your undoing. They are setting spies to watch you, knowing that you would liberate the ape-man because there will come to you one who will tell you that to permit him to escape will be the easiest solution of your problem. This one will be sent by Kaj, and then those who watch you will report to the people and to the priests that they have seen you lead the sacrifice to liberty. But even that will avail you nothing, for Kaj and Oa and the others have placed upon the trail from Opar many men in hiding, who will fall upon the ape-man and slay him before the flaming god has descended twice into the western forest. In but one way only may you save yourself, Law of Opar. And what is that way? she asked. You must, with your own hands, upon the altar of our temple, sacrifice the ape-man to the flaming god. End of chapter